This is the word of God to us tonight. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not, belong, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which are more presentable parts, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God. God. All right, you can grab your seat. It's good to be with you guys tonight. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline Church. If you don't know me, um, I'm going to pray for y'all. You pray for me, and uh, we'll pray for one another, and then dive into this text. So, Father, we thank you for tonight, and we pray that we would be able to, in new ways and and in clarity, see the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done. That's it's it's um, it's majestic. And so we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to help us see, hear, help us have our hearts open and understand the beauty of the gospel. And and we pray that you would warm our hearts, set them on fire in love for you. We say this together in Jesus' name, amen. I I had the question, and so I just, you know, did did a simple internet search to find out how many questions and how many decisions, specifically, how many decisions do we have to make in a day. And, uh, and so this isn't something that I was the first person to think of. Neuroscientists, cognitive psychologists, uh, they've studied this in depth. And the average person, according to scientists, makes 35,000 decisions a day. That's like one less than every two seconds. If you sleep eight hours, which if you do, I'm super jealous. Um, but if you, if you sleep eight hours, that leaves you 16 hours. That means that 35,000 decisions in 16 hours, that's like not even every two seconds you're making a decision. And most of those, honestly, are like mundane, you know? Like, uh, what shoes am I gonna wear to work today? Like, coffee or tea in the morning? What am I gonna have for lunch? What route am I gonna take home? You know, chocolate, vanilla, ice cream. They're, they seem important, but they're not that important. Some of those 35,000 decisions actually are, are vital decisions about our calling, 
where we're going to live and, and uh, the, the city we're going to put down roots in, relationships and friendships. Some of those are really important. You've probably noticed that I didn't read from the Gospel of Mark um, tonight. We're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in that Gospel all the way through the rest of this year. But, but we're going to take one break tonight because I want to talk to us about one of the most important decisions we're ever going to make in our entire lives. And, and here's the decision. Will we be a member of a local church? Will we be a part of the body that is a local church? And in, in a kind of increasing and staggering way, the answer to that question and the decision that people in our country are making is to a greater and greater degree, no. Um, that statistic, as far as people engaging in a house of worship in America, we, people started to track that in, uh, really during the Great Depression, so in the, like, the early 30s. And ever since the early 30s, when that has been a, a statistic that has been tracked in our country, 75, 70%, it's always hovered around 70%. The answer to that question is yes. Are you a part of a house of worship? That about three out of four people in the United States have consistently from, from 1930 on said yes until the year 2000. And then that began to go down ever so slightly. Well, this year, the results of a study by Gallup were released and it found actually for the first time since 2000 when that number began to drop in the last 20 years, it's dropped from 73% in the 1999, now it's dropped down to 48%, which means that millions upon millions of people over the last 20 years, when faced with that decision, am I going to be a part of a church, have said no. And so for the first time in the history of our nation, less than half of the people that are a part of the United States of America are not a part of a house of worship. And you might think, as I did when I first heard that stat, that probably has something to do with 2020 and all the, the weirdness and the challenges that that, that year entailed. And then there'll probably be a bounce back, a spring back here in the coming years. And yet everybody that is uh, tracking this information is saying, actually, that's not going to be the case because the reality is the younger you are, the less likely you are to say yes to that decision. Are you going to be a part of the local church? I, I, it doesn't make sense to me either, but I am a millennial, evidently. Uh, Kristen Jones filled me in. Actually, the technical term for me is a geriatric millennial. Um, <laughs> People born between like 81 and 85. And so my generation, millennials, um, we uh, 32%, I believe, are engaged in, in a house of worship. And so these are like, you know, national statistics and, and painting with a broad brush, which is important and, and helps us kind of have a sense of what's going on in our country. But really what's, what's really important is, is what's going on here in our congregation, in our church, Frontline, Frontline Edmund. And Ryan Geekus and I actually were having a conversation this week, and, um, and he, he said it in a way that I think really captured what part of the life of our church has been like over this last year. And Ryan said, it seems like people have been brought to a crossroads because all the hardship and all the strangeness that was this, let's say, last 18 months, that people have tend to have gone down two paths. And the first path is that because of like the, the 
pain of missing out on church community, not being able to gather for months on end like we, we did in 2020 and, and maybe not participating in, in community group. And all that has, has created in people just a deeper and new appreciation and love and commitment to the local church. It was like, you, you don't know what you have till it's been lost. And now it's like, man, I, I deeply appreciate the life and the love and the relationships in the church. And I, I'm moving towards it. And then the other path is, it's not like one path is hate and one path is love. It's, it's one path is love and one path, I would just say, is um, apathy or indifference and like a lukewarmness to the, the church. And it's something that I, I hear expressed in, in different ways is, hey, I, I love Jesus, but I just don't see the value or I don't have a desire to participate in the local church right now. I found myself thinking uh, this week about that Robert Frost poem. And if you know any poem, you probably know the poem I'm talking about, the, uh, the poem titled The Road Not Taken, right? And, and it ends with, right, two roads in, uh, diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by and that's, that's made all the difference. And I'm thinking of that poem just because I think many of us have, and probably each and every one of us in a different way, are at this crossroads of, hey, am I going to move towards, in, in light of where I am and where our culture is, and am I, I going to move towards the church in my faith, or am I going to move away from it and live a faith that's more solo or alone? And, and I think what's important to recognize, even as we're all faced with that decision is that we all carry like wounds and we've all been let down and hurt in, in ways. If you've been around the local church long enough, like you, you have a story and you have a scar. Like some of the most wondrous things I've ever experienced have been in a, a local church with fellow believers and at the same time, some of the hardest and, and worst things I've ever experienced are because I've been, I've been a part of, of the local church. And that matters. Our stories matter. And yet, what I want to call us to, to look to Scripture. And although fewer and fewer people are taking that road of church membership and saying, hey, I want to be a part of, of, of a church, I want to appeal to us tonight that actually that road, that path is the beautiful road, the beautiful path. It's not the easiest way. And it is a way of risk where we're going to give our hearts to people in a way that we're risking getting hurt. But I do fully believe that according to scripture, it's the road that Jesus is calling us down. And it's the better way, the more excellent way, as Paul's going to say in this very next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the way of love. It's the way of Christ. And so in order to explore that, I just want us to see four things about church membership and what it actually means for us together, right? And the beauty of it. So the first thing I want to show us is that in this text we see, one, is church membership means we're joined together as one body. Look again at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, what Paul is saying here is something really significant and really beautiful, and it's really good news, is that, that Jesus, when we, when we come to, to Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins and we ask him for forgiveness and we, we receive him and acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior and King, when we experience the salvation of the Messiah, Jesus, that he, he actually saves us from some things, and that's really good news. He saves us from death and death isn't what it once was if we're in Christ. It's not the end. It's just a transition into life eternal. It's not eternal separation from him. It's actually e- eternal union with him in heaven because heaven is where his presence is. It's, it's, it's being saved from our sin where we experience grace and justification and forgiveness and our, our sins are totally wiped away and our standing before the Father, we stand in righteousness that's not our own righteousness, but a righteousness that's been gifted to us because of the work of Christ Jesus. We're saved from the very domain of darkness that we, we were, whether we know it or not, we're actually a part of a force of darkness that's in opposition to God and his kingdom. And yet when Christ saves us, he saves us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, a kingdom of light. That's all really good news. But what Paul is saying here is that we're not just saved from some things when we're saved by Jesus. We're actually saved into something and we're saved into the church, to be joined to Jesus and joined to his people, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a very serious and significant way, just like our eye is a part of our body and our hand and our heart are joined and connected and are a necessary and and valued and beautiful part of our body. That's what happens to us when we are saved. We're saved into the body of Christ, his church, where he's the head, and it's this life-giving joining with our Savior and with one another. This joining isn't based on similarity or affinity, Paul says. It's not because we're rich or poor or we're a certain ethnicity. It's, it's all kinds of people with all different kinds of background, all joined together by one force, the most powerful force in the universe, it's, it's Jesus Christ. He's what brings us together in, in Christ alone. I um, was thinking about one of my favorite books this week, and I'm, I'm becoming self-aware that, that all of my favorite books tend to be just like really horrible historical things that have happened. I don't know what that means yet. Um, but uh, one of my favorite books, it's by a guy named John Krakauer. It's called In the Thin Air, and it's, it's, uh, it's about this expedition to the top of Mount Everest that goes horribly wrong, and a, a blizzard comes in, and these people are... Uh, trapped up on the mountain and um, it's an it's a amazing story of perseverance and tragedy and, and it's, it's, um, it's really impactful but I was thinking of a moment that happened, true story, that happened in this story where one climber, his name was Beck Weathers, um, he was trying to make his way, I believe Beck Weathers was a doctor, but he was trying to make his way down from the summit of Mount Everest, if my memory serves me correctly, what, 26,000 feet, um, probably the most inhospitable place on earth. And so he's got oxygen tanks and he's trying to make his way down and he's run out of oxygen and he, there's a whiteout blizzard. It's, it's degrees upon degrees below freezing. 
He's in the death zone, right, where you can't stay very long because your body just cannot um, live up there. It's the, the elevation is so high. And yet when he was in that place of desperate need, there was another mountain climber named Mike Groom who, who found him lost in the storm. And what Mike did was he tied a rope to himself and he tethered himself to Beck Weathers and said, I'm bringing you down. We're together. We're tied together. And we're going to make it down together, down to camp, down to safety. And in the midst of the storm and of those hard conditions, they unified and Mike led him to safety. They made it together. And I think that's just a beautiful glimpse of, of what local church membership, being a body of the Christ, looks like. We all face storms in our life at times, and we all are faced living in conditions in this life that are, are hard and are hardships upon us. And yet, what being a part of the church is in Christ Jesus is being tethered to Jesus and being tethered to one another and saying, hey, I am here. If you fall, I'm here. And if I fall, you are here for me. And we're both tethered to Christ and we're following him to the place that he's leading us, a place of mission and purpose and significance. That's what covenant membership is like for the Christian. It's a tying together for our good and for the glory of Christ. And this, this joining, this tethering, uh, the Bible calls us to live in a way that we're, we're known and we know like a real true friendship and community where we know one another and that we're known by others, that, that pastors know the flock and the flock knows their pastors. See, the New Testament talks about the church in, in a universal way that's really important for us to, to recognize and celebrate. Like part of understanding the church is understanding the church universal, which is, hey, this is the body of believers that spans across the globe and actually throughout time. And we're saved into that when we're saved in the Christ Jesus, but, but, but we're also saved into a, a real practical yet powerful local body of believers where we're known and we know. And this enables some of the healthy things Scripture calls us to to actually be lived out. Consider 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 3. This is what Peter writes to the early church. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, the pastors of the church, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that's among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering over those in your charge, but examples to the flock. So Peter's saying, hey, you need to, as a pastor, shepherd the flock that's among you. Well, actually, being a part of a local church and having a local church membership actually gives pastors clarity as to who their flock is and who, who they're called to pastor for the glory of Jesus. And look what the writer of Hebrews writes to, to the early church. He says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those, will have to give, as, those, as, uh, as those who will have to give an account. Just stop there for a minute. That means that, that pastors of the church someday, and this is a, for the five men that were installed as elders in our congregation last Thursday, and for, for myself, for Pastor Steve, this is a really weighty charge means that one day we're going to have to have a conversation with Christ Jesus face to face about how we pastored the church. But the author of Hebrews goes on and he says to the church, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that 
would be of no advantage to you. So the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, to be a Christian means that you need to have a pastor, an elder that, that knows you, that's gonna have to give an account for the way they've pastored you. And, and Peter's saying, hey, to, to be a pastor means that you're gonna have to know your flock and love and serve and lead them. And so in order for either of those things to be possible, there has to be a, a recognition and a definition of, hey, I'm a part of this body and we're in this together. If there's no biblical requirement to, to actually be a part of a local church, I just think it's impossible actually for these charges of scripture to actually be a part of the life of the believer. As a follower of Christ, you, 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 you can't simply just follow anybody that gives you a business card that says, hey, I'm a pastor. You know, I don't think you want to do that. And I, I think as a pastor, I can't imagine being held to account for a Christian in our city that I, I don't even know, right? But local church membership actually brings clarity and purpose and definition to these charges of scriptures. Pastors are committed to members, members committed to, to pastors, and the church committed to one another, tethered together as one body with many members, so it is in Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing I want us to see is church membership means we stay together. I want to skip to verse 18. Read this with me. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. In verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I think probably more times than ever in the history of my life in the local church, which has been 39 years, that I have heard more brothers and sisters in Christ, more Christians, say to one another in some way, shape, or form, or fashion. They maybe don't use those exact six words, but the message under what they say or what they write is, at a base level, I have no need of you. And that's like super scary to me because, in a, and you might have stories that you know that are different, but honestly, I cannot think, I mean, I've seen that play out hundreds of times over the last, let's say, 12 years. And, and really personally on close levels, dear, dear, true lifelong friends I've seen walk that out and say to the church, hey, I'm, I'm a part of this body, but yeah, I have no need of you. I'm gonna go off and, and be better off on my own. And I just have never, whether it's one month later or eight years later, I've never seen that lead to a, a life of flourishing in a spiritual way or blessing or peace. It has always brought upon heartache upon heartache. And I think what's a unique challenge for, for us, and I'm in this boat as much as anybody, is like there are things that are part of being a citizen of Edmond, Oklahoma. To, to be an Edmondite, there's things that we tend to value, and many of those things are really good things, family and community. And we also value some things that are good things like independence and autonomy and freedom, and yet those good things can take a bad posture in our heart, particularly when it relates to our relationship with, with others in the church. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody share Galatians 5.1 with me. Like, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. 
in the context of no one can tell me what to do, don't tread on me, right? I'm free in Christ, like I don't ever need to be inconvenienced or put in a place of discomfort or ever be put upon because I'm free. And yet if you keep on reading in Galatians, which is helpful, and you go to Galatians 5.13, Paul's going to go on and talk about the freedom and he says, hey, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So Paul's saying, yeah, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, and it's a, it's a higher freedom. We're free from death and sin and darkness, and we're free now because we've been made alive in Christ Jesus to, to show the love and the service and the kindness and the compassion he showed us to others. We need to take that freedom and use it to love and serve others. It's a higher freedom that we're called to. And so in a, in a city that we so often desire autonomy and independence, it's going to rub against us in some ways to say, oh, actually, to be a Christian is to, call to be dependent on others, like you're a part of the body dependent on the rest of the body. To not be autonomous, to actually to be accountable and to be connected. This is what the author Ronald Rollheiser wrote in his book, Holy Longing. He said, church involvement, when understood properly, does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we don't like. It is a covenant commitment, like a marriage, that binds us for better or worse. Now, I don't think Rollheiser is saying, nor is it, is it like explicit anywhere in the Bible that like joining a church, you go through the church membership class and we take vows and we say, till death do us part, like, you know, and we're gonna give you some like ring to wear. Like, it's not that type of covenant but covenant is an agreement before God to say, hey, we're joined together, not, not just between you and I, but actually in Christ. And our relationship is as such that when it gets hard, I'm just not going to walk away. That's the similarity to marriage. That there's something that I value beyond my comfort or beyond my preferences. And it's our unity and our love in Christ Jesus. See, Paul's saying that the church membership isn't like the YMCA or the Chamber of Commerce or, or Netflix or whatever, where we just aren't getting the content that we, we find most helpful at the time, or it's just, just not convenient for our schedule, and we're just going to put it on pause for a while. He's saying, hey, it's way more like a marriage where you're in it for the long haul, loving and serving and giving of yourself. It's a unity that runs deeper than that. It's actually a part of our identity in Christ. And, and this is what I suspect and, and what I actually more than suspect, what I deeply believe and hope for us is that in this cultural moment where it seems like people in our city and in our country and around the world are dividing and disagreeing about every single possible thing that you can divide on and disagree, and there's just perpetual, constant division and disunity, what would it look like to be a community of people that actually moves towards one another and stays and says, hey, even though I disagree with that person, that's okay. I'm not going to divide I'm not going to, to move away because they're my sister or they're my brother and I love them. And, and we actually have a king that rules over both of us in Christ Jesus and we're gonna stay tethered together even when we don't agree about everything. That in this moment to love one another like that, what would that say about the beauty and the power of our king and his love when we love each other 
like that. I think it's one of the most profound ways that we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ Jesus is just to stay unified in the midst of a culture that is constantly dividing. That leads us to our our next point quickly, three. Church membership means we care for one another. Verse 22 Paul writes, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable, and, and, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul is saying every member of the body matters. If you're a part of the church, you might have a a really public role where you get up and speak in front of people, you know, and, and, and that that's needed, that's great, but you actually might have a, a, a really important role that's behind the scenes and God bestows honor on that role. There are people in our church that, that pray and none of us really know about it. And every day they pray for you and they pray for the leadership and they pray for revival and they pray and they pray and they pray. And maybe we don't know who they are, but I suspect that, that the halls of heaven know who they are. I was hanging out with a group of friends the other day and um, a guy who um, has been out of town for a long time, he walked into that room and it was uh, like jarring the response he got. Like people freaked out. Like he was like (laughs) a war hero, you know? It's like just get a standing ovation just for coming in the room, you know? It's like it was was really beautiful, right? And uh, it struck me that I think there are gonna be some people when we enter the gates of heaven, they're going to get a reaction. They're going to get a, a rousing round of applause and some, some, some screams of joy. And we're going to think, man, like, did they have a podcast that I missed? Did, did they write a book that was like, really important, right? Like, did they come out with like, a really helpful series of videos? Or what, what, you know, was that guy a really good preacher? Was that gal just like an amazing disciple? What, was, what, what celebrity Christian is that? And I imagine a citizen of heaven will say, oh, no, 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 no. She prayed so much. And Jesus moved in and through her prayers for the good of his church in beautiful ways. So we, we know her. We know all about her. And some of us, the way that we care for the poor, the way that we show hospitality, the way that we have faith or generosity, it's just these gifts that are maybe behind the scenes, but the church would fall apart without you. The church needs you. And all this this care, it comes to life as we participate in the local church together. Local church is, is, is a is a place where as we are members, our gifts are recognized and, and the love that we show for another, the, 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 the life that we have with one another, it actually happens. 
Just think about the, the what, the 59, I think, one another's of, of the New Testament. If you're not familiar with that, this is like beautiful charges to believers about the ways that we're supposed to live together. It's like serve one another, love one another, accept one another, bear one another's burdens, greet, be hospitable, be patient, kind, be compassionate to one another, sing over one another, be honest with one another, encourage one another. We could go on and on and on. Well, the place that God intended those to to actually come to life and be lived out is in membership in a church, in relationship where you know and you're known. So one of the practical ways that, that we can live this out in a healthy way is there's a card in front of you in the pocket or you can go online at frontlinechurch.com slash serve. And that's just a way that, that church leadership will help you use the gifts that are inside of you for the good of the church. I, I, as I get older, my leg is probably, if you're a doctor, you can talk to me about this afterwards, but like my legs go to sleep all the time, you know, and like my kids always want to hug me when that happens and, the, you know, they don't know and I'm just like, I'm so vulnerable right now, like my six-year-old could beat me up, but, you know, she's just like holding on to my leg. It's like part, I think, of the church, often we feel like we've got limbs asleep just because people, um, you're like a present that has gone unwrapped, Right? Like, there's gifts that God has placed in you that the body needs. And one of the practical ways that those gifts can become unwrapped is for you to say, hey, I want to sit down with a leader and talk about ways that my gifting can be used to impact and love for the, for the common good. So if you aren't serving right now and you're part of the church, just yeah, look, look into ways to serve this week. We'd love to talk to you and sit down and, uh, about ways where we're not going to use you to build ministry, but we want to have ministry help build you up into the woman or man God is, is calling you to be. Fourthly, and lastly, church membership means we grow together as one body. Paul uses the same illustration in a different letter to the church. I want to flip there now. If you have uh, uh, your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians 4. Picking up in verse 15. Ephesians 4, verse 15. This is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is to head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It was a, another study that recently came out a couple years ago. It was a Barna research study, and it was done specifically towards and, and, and asking people that say they're followers of Jesus but don't engage in the church. They're, they're autonomous, they're solo, they're not a part of a church. And the question was, hey, you know, why aren't you a part of the church? And the number one answer was, I practice my faith, faith in other ways, and I worship on my own. In other words, hey, I don't feel like I need the body to grow. I don't feel like I need the body to have vitality or be alive. Like, I, I'm, I'm an eye. I don't need anything else. Or I'm a hand. I don't need anything else. But we all just know that's not how the body works, Right? And we would be terrified if we ever saw just like a hand without the rest of the body just going along, minding its own business. We had an uh, elder planning retreat probably three weeks ago. And we, take, we didn't take it 
No, we did take it last year, but um, it was just a time where a few of the elders get together and we pray and we plan and we look ahead at the next 12 months of the church. And it's a place where God's consistently met us. And it's a place that we want to intentionally serve each other. And one of the ways that we do that is we, we make dinner for each other. And we really try to like go all out and uh, just make a good meal for, for one another just uh, to, to practically serve each other. But us being wired the way that many of us are, it has turned into a competition. Um, <laughs> And there's no, like, trophy or anything, but we know in our hearts who wins. And, uh, and, and uh, my team won this last year. Um, not that you, you know, it's important for you to know that, actually, that we won. But uh, on my team was JJ Side, Josh Curry from downtown, our founding pastor of Frontline, and uh, Andrew Burkhart, who's at Frontline South. Um, but we're all prepping together, and I was, I was doing dessert, and JJ was uh, chopping um, vegetables, I believe. I think he was chopping Brussels sprouts. I don't remember, but the bottom line, is he had a knife that was really, really sharp, and he was not paying a ton of attention, and um, he took off the very tip of his middle finger on his left hand. And JJ being JJ, he walked into the room I was in and just very matter-of-factly was like, well, I cut off my finger, you know? And I look, and there's just like a towel that's red, and he's bleeding a lot. It wasn't just like a little bit, you know? It wasn't just like, he, he got a good, a good chunk of it. And so me being the good friend that I am, I went to try to find it. I don't know what I was thinking, but, you know, I'm a dad of four. I'm like, we can super glue it. You know, I fixed amazing things with super glue. Anyway, I, I did find it, and, uh, and, and I went to pick it up, and then I was just like, whoa. It was, it was, that was like the moment when I held it. I was like, I'm out. You know, you're on your own. Um, Josh Curry, this is some insight into his personality, he had like some special sand that like stopped bleeding. Like, what man is that prepared? You know, like, oh, I've got this like... You know, in case one of us got shot, I've got this packet of sand here. I don't know. But he had that and put it on his finger, and we just kind of wrapped it up. And JJ's fine. You've seen him. He's great. I don't, you know, his, his, this finger's never going to be the same, but he'll be, he'll be all right. Um, but the point is this. Like, that pad of that finger, when I held it in my hand, was not thriving. It was, it was white. No life in it. And yet, and yet a ton of people in our faith are like, hey, we, we, can, we can just be cut off and we'll be fine. I can thrive apart from the rest of the body. I can, I can flourish in my spiritual life. You can amputate me from the rest of the body and I'll grow and I'll thrive and I'll just be perfectly fine. And Paul is so confronting us with this illustration and saying, you know in your experience that that is not true. To, to be flourishing and to have spiritual life, it means that we need to be a part of the body of Christ. We need a part of the body of we need to be a part of the body of Christ to grow because people will help us see our sins and our weakness and our immaturity. But but more than that, it's also a place, and I think we don't talk about this enough. It's a place that we get to have our strengths recognized and our gifting affirmed, and we're honored and celebrated. You know, apart from being a part of the local church, like how, how, would we, how would we know Andy and Alyssa Nelson were just such kind shepherds? How would we know Annabelle Whistlin is, is so wise and has such a heart to, to love and lead teenagers that reflects the, the, the heart of Christ for, for kids? How would we know that Billy and Rhonda Parkman carry just like a humble prophetic gifting to serve us all? 
How would we know Steve and Stacy Russell were, were such compassionate marriage counselors without being a part of the local body? We could just go on and on. And many, I could, many, many of you know unique and beautiful gifts and strengths because you're a part of the body and you've benefited and you've seen those gifts at work for the good of others. And, and this is a really fun thought. Like, how much of that has yet to be unearthed? What, what gifts is the Spirit still giving? And, and, and what gifting have we, are, are we just beginning to grow into? We're going to begin to say like, hey, you have a, a deep gift of hospitality. You guys are just married. You don't know it yet. But God's going to use you to, to create a home where people are going to find refuge and meet with the very presence of the living God. There are gifts in this church that are, are yet to be discovered and affirmed and found, and they will be found and affirmed and discovered in the context of being a part of one body in Christ Jesus. So, where do we go from here? Real practically, if you're a covenant member of Frontline Church, that we start in the month of June and we, we do this throughout June and July, we go through our annual membership renewal. And that isn't just like a database cleanup. We don't want membership in this church just to be like some growing list of names where people aren't known. We actually want it to really mean something. And in order to help us do that, we do an annual membership renewal where if you're a member of the church, you have an opportunity to say, hey, yeah, I, I want to renew my membership. And that is actually a spiritual discipline. It's not just like updating your email address and your mailing address and making sure we've got your birthday right and all that stuff. That's important, thank God for that. But, but what's more important is for us all to, to, to back to where we began, say, hey, I wanna go down the beautiful road of being a part of a body. And this is a, a spiritual discipline where I'm saying, hey, once again, I'm going to commit to be a part of this body for a year where I'm loved and I'm served and I get to love and serve as a part of this community in Christ. And so if you're a covenant member, renew that membership. And if you have questions or concerns or things you need to process, I mean, we would love to, as elders, do that this summer with you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you aren't a member of a local church, my, my charge to you would just be to join a church. Be a part of the body. The, the body needs you. That might not be this congregation. There's lots of great churches in Edmond, but, but find one that's gospel-centered and, and, and spirit-filled and Bible-honoring and then plug in and be a part of of the body for, for your good. If you want to join here, go to frontlinechurch.com slash membership and you can find out when the next membership class is. And lastly, and probably most importantly, if you're just here tonight and you're exploring the claims of Christianity and, and you're not so sure what you believe or you've been out of church for a while and you're just coming back in and, and you just want to learn more about Jesus or you're re-engaging the faith, the best place with your questions, with your doubts, the best place to see Jesus is around his body. And so we, we love you and our love for you is just a, a small reflection of God's love for you, but that's what we desire to be. Just a, like a mirror pointed up at the sun, we just wanna reflect the light and the love of God in your life. And so we would be honored if you would stick around. We wanna be friends. We'd love for you to be a part of this community and bring your questions and we can walk alongside you as you look to see if this good news is as good as it seems and, and the beautiful answer is it is all that and more. And we wanna be the body of Christ to be his hands and feet and be with you. So stick around.
Let's stand and pray.